everybody in Ireland, Honolulu, friend of hers, who is a very great soul and who is going through the same experience that I have gone through and which Beth has recently gone through, uh, came over to our hotel room and she brought this to us. She um, had it printed in large letters and it's a beautiful place. To step out of self-life into Christ's life, to lie still and let Him lift you out of it, to fold your hands close and hide your face upon the hem of His robe, to let Him lay cooling, soothing, healing hands upon your soul and draw all the hurry and fever from its veins, to realize that you are not a mighty messenger, an important worker of His, full of care and responsibility but only a little child with a father's gentle bidding to heed and to fulfill, to lay busy plans confidently in his hands as a child brings its broken toys at its mother's call, to serve him by waiting, to praise him by saying, Holy, holy, holy. A single note of praise is to the seraphim of the heavens, if that be his will, to cease so to hurry that you lose sight of his face, to learn to follow him and not to run ahead of orders, to cease to live in self and for self, and to live in him and for him, to love his honor more than your own, to be a clear and facial medium for his love life, to shine and go through. This is consecration. This is rest. This is so true. You are a child of God. This is by Swami Ramda. When the mind is silent, the powers of your inner life reveal themselves. Then you maintain unruffled harmony and peace within the midst of the so-called external conflicts and disturbances. The secret is to let the mind sink into your soul and lose itself. Now your entire being is flooded with God's own radiance and joy and you realize the world as his expression filled with the same splendor and delight. The apparent class of nature's forces outside seem to you to be necessary for the fulfillment and consummation of divine plan and purpose. All movements have their inception in him. The upward is also the downward. He rides on the waves of eternal bliss. As a child of the supreme God of love, peace, and joy, inherit his glory and know that you are his own image, cast in his mold, endued with his spirit and power. Seek him not outside you. He is your life and very source. It is by his will and power alone you set in all manner of ways through mind, tongue, and body. You act in all manner of ways through mind, tongue, and body. He permeates every part of your being. When you do not possess this knowledge, you are a bound creature beset with darkness, fears, and grief. Whereas when you are awakened to the consciousness of Him, you become a free, illumined, and blissful being. As usual this morning, I came fully prepared. Try to think of something to talk about. It was at 1 o'clock last night. I couldn't find anything, nothing was forthcoming in, so I went to bed. I set the alarm clock at 7 o'clock, and now I get up and um, do the necessary. 
my alarm didn't go off. <laughs> I didn't wake up until 8.30. I just wanted to get ready. So, this is the greatest thing that can happen to any minister of God. In a sense, because always we are so want to set down in every detail all of the things that we are going to speak about. And yet it says in there, when you are weak, then I am strong. So believe me, I am very strong because he has to do it all. But this is true. Many times the greatest sermons that are given are given because we have not prepared them. And we have no alternative but to turn them over to God and let him do all things. If we would only learn to do this, in every thought, every word, every action of our life, we would find that our lives would change in a way that was beyond our belief. This morning I'd like to read to you from Isaiah chapter 9, beginning with verse 2. The people that walk in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation, and not increased the joy. They joy before these according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the days of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise, and garments rolled in blood. But this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David, and upon his kingdom to order it, and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now last Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. It was the beginning of the Lenten season. And all over the Christian world, this Lenten season is observed for 40 days before the resurrection. It is a day, or a time, I should say, of penitence, of fasting, and many people observe the outer form. They give up certain things that they enjoy eating or drinking, certain acts that they commit which they feel are unworthy. During that time, they give these things up. And many, many times, they do it in great pride. And they think, isn't this wonderful of me that I should give up this one item which I enjoy eating or this one thing which I enjoy doing, this one thing which I enjoy drinking, <coughs> in order that I might observe the Lenten season. But this Lenten season was started by the church for a definite reason. Forty days is many times mentioned in the Bible. And the word, or the letter, or the number I should say, four, is given many times in the Bible. It's a four square uh, foundation upon which everything is built. These 40 days of fasting are the days which the soul goes through when finally it has come to the point of complete and absolute surrender to God. It is that time of fasting from the things of the world, 
of all worldly acts, of all worldly thoughts and consciousness, of doing that which the little self likes to do. And it is indrawn. It is a time of famine for the soul, as it says in chapter 24 of St. Matthew. The, the soul actually, the body actually goes through a state of famine. It takes no food. It takes no drink. There is no elimination during the time when the soul is totally indrawn because its love for God has become so great that it is even willing to sacrifice its life upon its own cross, which is its body, in order that it might, may, might find a union with the infinite bridegroom, the Christ. But don't forget that Jesus was born the Son of Man, even as you and I. And he represents the human ego. And he knows that that human ego must be crucified, must be transformed, in order that he become the Christed One, the Glorious One, the Son of God. Everyone has this potential within himself, because, as it says in the Scriptures, Christ is the firstborn of every creature. He is that infinite spirit, that infinite intelligence, that infinite power, which gives us the power to do anything and everything that we do. Of ourselves we are nothing, yet how blindly we go through life, doing this and that and the other thing with the idea of personal accomplishment, personal reward, personal, the idea of having personal praise for what we do. Yet where do these thoughts come from? Where does the intelligence come from which brings these thoughts into being? Where do you get the power to even move and breathe and have your being? Did you make yourself a man or a woman? No, you did not. Now, true, your father and mother were the instruments, but you started as one single cell, and that cell was planted in the mother's womb. But what about this perfect form that came forth? this temple of God, not made by hand. And when you think of all of these things, and that it is the infinite Creator who not only brought this world into being, but keeps it running totally in every single way, every minute, how can we think that we do anything? And how can we deny the existence of a God? There has to be an infinite intelligence. Some one superior power that keeps everything moving in harmony as it does. And he made perfect law, absolutely perfect law. But he gave man his free will to choose to follow that law or to go against it. There are many people, when they come to this point of turning their faces toward God, do with all of their hearts and minds and souls. A miracle happens. And they truly know what it means to come in contact with this wonder child within themselves. But this wonder child doesn't just happen overnight. It is something which you must pay a price to have. When this child comes into being, your whole body, your whole being, your whole consciousness changes, never again to be the same. Says, for unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful. Now that's the first name that is given here. He is wonderful. He is beautiful. He is a miracle of all existence. And he is, secondly, the counselor. But how many people stop to listen? You know, I often think, 
why do we not try to start listening? Instead of constantly talking, expressing our own ideas, which we think are our own, until this world is just like the Tower of Bath. It is going on constantly. And you're going to some places to eat or for some form of amusement or congregation. And the noise that ensues is so great that you just feel a lack of peace. You want to get out of there. The music is raucous and there is nothing quiet or soothing. Everybody is talking. And because the music is going, they talk much louder than they would otherwise. You know, even in everyday life, in our social life, in our business life, we are constantly talking. But if we really want to learn anything, we better start to learn to listen. And you do the person that you listen to a great service. In the first place, a great many people are inhibited. Many have come up from childhood with deep psychological wounds in their consciousness. Their psyche has been damaged. They need to be able to get this out. They need to do it without advice, without constantly putting your word in. They need just to talk. And by permitting them to talk, you give them release. But also, God makes you the recipient of this wonderful privilege of helping a soul to release himself. And conceivably, even in his trouble, you learn something that you can apply to your own life. Or you can relate to that person because you've had the same thing happen in your own life, in one form or another. When you are talking constantly, you don't learn. You don't get knowledge. Because if you will learn to be discriminative and listen to what people whom you are with say to you, you will find that they have a wealth of knowledge and that you don't know it all. You don't know everything there is. And you can learn from them in a way that is really wonderful, especially if it is someone who is a specialist in his field. And, not, and yet not all specialists are perfect. Uh, I know, as a matter of fact, we have one in our group right now who has um, been to the university, has studied uh, many uh, sciences, and one in particular, and found many errors in the Hebrew that these were errors. And he went about correcting them. He went about it in a scientific manner. And gradually, he has written new practices which really are true and teaches classes about them and is gradually making up a book with regard to that. So not all of the things that you learn in school are correct, you see, because they are the expression of some one person's idea of what is correct and may not be workable. So if you will listen, you will learn. As I've told many of you, I've never yet graduated from any school in my life except a six-month business course. But I have graduated from the school of life. <laughs> <laughs> I came up the hard way. And I found that God's school was the greatest school, the school of experience that one could possibly get into. And because I didn't have the advantage of many people, I learned to pick and to choose those whom I could look up to with respect, those whom I felt had knowledge that I could use, those who had knowledge with regards to how to dress, uh, what manners to use and under certain occasions. And so I made many mistakes and I used to grin terribly and be very self-effacing and feel very inferior. But gradually as time went on, I became more sure of myself. And the reason I did was because 
I found God. And I learned to listen to God within myself. As you know, God never makes any mistakes. Now in the beginning, he comes merely as a voice of intuition. And sometimes our own human mind misinterprets what he says. But as you learn to work with this intuition, gradually you will find that it will tell you the truth and you will have a feeling. A certain knowledge will come to you that certain things are going to happen or that such and such is the truth and it comes out to a minute degree. And when this happens, when it becomes a fulfillment of prophecy, you know beyond all doubt that God is talking to you, he's speaking to you, and he is giving you the truth. Now, there are many people who have these so-called hunches. There are many people who have been taught the truth. They've been taught the Ten Commandments. They've been taught the difference between right and wrong. Yet they deliberately satisfy the senses. They deliberately go against that which they know to be God's perfect law. And they wonder why they get in trouble afterwards and why they have to go through such travail and such punishment. And they blame everything and everybody else but themselves. But in truth, there is no one else to blame but themselves because they have free will, and they can say yes or no to everything or everyone who comes before them at any moment. Now, for saying no, sometimes there's a price to be paid. But at least you have the satisfaction of knowing that you are walking with God, you are going with Him. And that gives you a sense of security, of peace, and of rightness and of goodness within yourself. You're not waiting around all the time with a guilt complex. And so you should learn to listen to this counselor within yourself. And the higher you go on the ladder of self-realization, the more prominent this voice becomes, the more constant it becomes. But it is still just John the Baptist, the voice of intuition, the spirit which is the new thing coming to the soul who has put its feet on the path. But this business of length, this 40 days of fasting, this 40 days of penitence is what every soul must go through because they are paying the price for the things that they didn't do right. And remember that no one can escape the law because also it says in every scripture of the world that the law must be fulfilled in every jot and tittle. So you don't get away with anything. And the reason you don't is because this is the temple of the living God. And wherever you go, you take God with you. This is your temple. This is your church. And whatever crime you commit, God is there watching. We are so smart in our ignorance sometimes. We think, well, I'm getting away with it. Nobody's going to know about it. But it even says in the scriptures, if you commit murder, it will be shouted from the housetops. And this is true of anything you do. And until you can come to that realization that you can't get away with a thing, that the reason God is omnipresent is because He is within you. He is your real self. He is your, your God, the Christ within you. This wonder child, this counselor, that one who is you, the real you, until you come to that knowledge, you're in trouble. Because the more you do the things that are against the laws of God, the greater is the price that you are going to have to pay during these so-called 40 days which are merely symbolic of that which the soul goes through. Now the soul is sexless, but yet the soul is always referred to as a woman, whether that one be man or woman, male or female. 
Why is that? It is because Christ within you is the eternal male, the eternal bridegroom, and the soul is always the spouse. It is a bride waiting for marriage with that infinite one within themselves. When that comes, the joy, the wonder, the beauty of it is so great, you are so uplifted that you are as though you are a new creature in a new world. I had a long conversation with one of the deputies from New York who has been with me many years. And she strives daily for her God realization. There is never a day when she does not meditate, and never a day when she is not pleading with God to give her God realization. So we had a long talk, and I told her that when the day came, that she would just listen to God. If she would just love Him with everything she had, love Him, worship Him, adore Him, and give even the wish for God realization to Him, because He knows when we are ready, but we don't then he will come, and he will come quickly. But don't you see, it is still the human ego that wants, that is reaching out, that has not yet realized its oneness with that infinite life, with that infinite truth, which is its true self. The other one is only illusion. If you start to think inside of yourself, to listen to the guidance which this wonder child gives you, you will have so many things open to you, things that you can't learn from any teacher, things that you can't learn in school or in any book, because you will be in tune with the infinite, that one who is all knowledge, all wisdom, all power, all love, all light, and many, many things that have never been revealed to anybody will be given to you. How do you think all of these things that we now enjoy in this modern world came into existence? Man says he invented them. He sat, and all of a sudden an idea came to him. But where did this idea come from? Did he generate it? He generated it through concentration, perhaps. But the idea was not his own. It came from this infinite spirit. So as you learn to listen to God, as you learn only to love him, to worship him, to adore him, to ask him for nothing, nothing at all, but the privilege of doing these things, when you can say to him, as once I had to do, I think I've told you, I sat before Swami Ramdas in India. I wanted God realization so badly. And I said to him, Papa, will I get God realization in this lifetime? And he looked at me and smiled sweetly and then looked down and said, absolutely nothing. And I sat there and I sat there. And finally, because I wanted God so badly, I started to cry. And I wept bitter tears. Finally, that stopped, and I went inside of myself. Billy hadn't said a word. And all of a sudden, I said to God, Well, God, it is up to you. I must surrender everything to you. Here is a God-realized match, but he won't tell me anything. <laughs> <laughs> so if it is your will that I have God-realization in this incarnation, then you will give it to me. If not, I accept your will. I will just love you. I will serve you. I will do the best I can for you in every department of my life. When I came to that moment of final surrender, where I didn't have one wish for my human self, not even the wish for oneness with him, to get rid of this human self, then I got it. I paid a tremendous price for that. 
But thank God I did because of the price I paid. I can teach you the truth of the peril. Because I went through them in a most agonizing way. And I went through all of them. It is said that in India, and it is well known, that there are few indeed who go through the baptism of blood and live through it. And yet, he gave me even that. So when some Orthodox Christian walked in the blood of Christ, I can truly say yes. But I can say to them, have you? And they will say, of course. We have taken him as our Savior. We have been saved. And they know not whereof they speak in one little tiny detail. Because ask them, what happened to you when you were washed in the blood of Christ? Just exactly what happened to you? What experience did you have? And they can't tell you. They're speechless. But I can tell them because I went through it. And believe me, it is a painful experience. It is when the consciousness is released from the physical or the gross body and the transfer of that consciousness to the psychic or the astral or the electrical body is done in full measure, even to the transfer of blood. And the atomic structure of the body must be loosened. And that's where the pain comes in. Because there is movement, there is suffering, there is a breaking down of that which was attached to the five senses in order that that consciousness must be released. You can feel, you can hear the blood gurgling, just like uh, wine poured into a bottle. And each time a certain circuit uh, of the uh, circulatory tract is completely uh, transferred, then the navel is automatically depressed, and it is a very painful thing. And I said to him, finally, the pain was so great, Lord, how long is this going to last? Well, it lasts much longer. He said, no, not much longer now. So then I became curious. Why did I feel this depression in here? So I asked him about that. And he said, well, when you were in your mother's womb, you were attached to her body by the umbilical cord. Through that, you were given everything that you needed in the way of nourishment. All the nervous system, all the, the blood circulating through, all of the food that was necessary. So when you were born, that umbilical cord was cut it dried off, and the whole thing was secured there. So now that you are going into a second birth, then the same thing must transpire. So inasmuch as this is being transferred from the physical to the electrical or the astral body, the same process goes through, and it must be secured. It must be tied there. Well, it made sense. But this is what it means when the Savior within you, the Son of Man, is going to be crucified or transformed on your own cross. There is indeed a question of being washed in his blood because this is what really happens when you know that, when you experience it, when God through his infinite wisdom and mercy puts you through it. I had never heard of such a thing. I had never read of such a thing. Nobody had ever told me anything about it. And yet God put me through it. Then he would take me to the scriptures and show me what I had gone through. But always I had to earn it first. Because God's realization is a pearl of great price. Now there are few indeed who are put through this baptism of blood. Because the average person is required to pay only for themselves. And the price is very small by comparison, I can assure you. But God had lifted me up and had shown me what I was to do, what was my destiny. It has been confirmed by many saints, 
and now I was at the feet of a universally realized master who was putting me through everything that was necessary to give me the truth of the Christian scriptures. And yes, finally I came to learn that there was a truth of the Hindu scriptures as well. Those scriptures which had been written 5,000 years before we were told Christ was born and had been in existence even before that time. So this woman came who called me last night. All of a sudden, got a new life. She got hold of a new idea. But she was still asking for things. Now this is not bad. It's better to ask for God than anything else in your God realization. But you must come to that moment of total surrender where you no longer exist, where you have no life of your own, you have no possessions of your own, and that's what you say is yours. You are willing to sacrifice at his feet because in truth nothing is yours. God created this universe. He keeps it running. He created you. He keeps you running. And without him, none of this would exist. So he is everywhere equally present. Pardon me. He is in every church. He is in every religion. He is in every human being. He is the intelligence, the life in every creature and even the inanimate so-called objects, which have been proven to have feeling and consciousness through instruments which have been used to prove this fact. So if you will listen, learn to listen to this counsel, be in constant communion with him, this doesn't mean that you have to give up your work. So many people say to me, how in the world can I do a technical job? How in the world can I keep my mind on the details of this job and come out with a perfect performance and keep my mind on God at the same time? But that, they say that because they really don't know the truth, that it is God in them who is doing this work. It is, that, it is he who knows all of the answers to the problem. It is he who can arrange all the workings. And he does it through you and for you. So you can have constant meditation every moment of your life if you will do just two things. If you will do everything you do in the consciousness that you are doing it for God, that is your human ego getting its satisfaction. And the second one, is, which is even greater, know that you of yourself do nothing, that your Father is doing everything through you. And if you can get those two things planted in your subconscious mind and finally rise, uh, raise them to the, to the conscious mind, your mind will be on God every second and you will do the most brilliant, creative work that you've ever been able to do in your life. I don't know what you think about what is coming forth from me, but certainly from what I have told you, I didn't do it. I have no preparation. I have turned myself over to God, and yet I am conscious of you all, and yet I am not. I am not conscious of my body, and yet I am. It is a paradox. And when you come to the point where you can truly raise yourself to this tremendous experience of rising above the ego, of literally crucifying it, killing it, transforming it. That doesn't mean that you are giving up anything except that which has been a burden to you, which has given you nothing but trouble, in order that you may be this wonder child, this Christ child within you, who has taken over in full power 
the reins of your kingdom, and you are truly free. He's taken you out of the darkness into the light of God, and you have no responsibility. You have no worries. You have no burden. He has the whole thing. But because he is what he is, there are no burdens. Because he knows, as you come to know, that everything there is is God living his life. That life is God and God is life. And there is nothing else beside him. And that's what, that which you committed once which seemed so evil is not evil at all. It was a necessary experience which God be praised you don't want to ever repeat again because of what you had to suffer for. <clears throat> but it was an experience which taught you in the school of life that this was not the thing for you to do. Because because you did it, you suffered from it. And you brought that punishment upon yourself. So learn to listen to this wonderful counselor. And what else does it say he is? Thirdly, he is the mighty God. In other words, he is God made man. That's why he is called the Son of God. Why he is the firstborn of every creature. Because what God was, and then he created from himself the carpenter of the universe. That one which made it, and that one became the Son. But even though he said, I of myself am nothing, it is my Father who doeth the work. Yet he also said, I and my Father are one. And you learn that. When you go through these tremendous experiences, and they're worth everything you ever go through because of what comes after, when you learn this, then you know that God is, He works through this, this Son, which is everywhere equally present, which is universal, not confined just to one body, but is that guiding light, that force, that intelligence, that power, that light within every single form in this universe. And it's tremendous. The mighty God making himself manifest as the Son. Then it says he is the everlasting Father. Because he is infinite. He is eternal. And so when people again talk about death, they're talking merely about the form which disappears. Because that light, that intelligence, that spirit of God, which lives in that temple, decides that the temple is no longer of use. And so he departs from it. But he takes on a new garment in order that he may better serve himself and himself in all humanity. And it's a constant thing of growth. So there is no such thing as death. But also we must remember this, that it is he himself who takes this form. And he alone has the privilege of deciding when that form shall disappear. This business of many people, I have letters from people who say that they're so discouraged they want to commit suicide. And they don't know what they're doing to themselves because they don't realize that if they take their own life, this is the greatest act against God, the greatest sin that they can commit. And they're going to have to go right back to the beginning of their human existence and go through all the incarnations in order to come to this moment again of decision as to whether they're going to go or stay. This life is God's life. His alone. We were put here but for one purpose, 
And that is to find that really we are his child, one with him, flesh of his flesh, spirit of his spirit, the word which took on the garment of flesh, the body, and was made manifest. So he's every place, everywhere in the world. And he is the Prince of Peace. And the reason he is the Prince of Peace is because the human being is never at peace. Momentarily, perhaps, he may think so. But the next minute, something happens, and his peace has been taken away from him. But when he does whatever is necessary to pray to God, to chant to God, and some refuse to do this, and they should be doing it every moment of their lives. But when they will do that, when they go through what is necessary to have Christ be the total, uh, have total dominion over the kingdom when they do this, then he has all the burden. He has said, come to me, all of ye who are burdened and heavy laden, and I shall give you rest. So when at last you become one, with that infinite Christ within yourself, then you, the human self, what is left of it, is a total peace. You are a liberated soul. You are free. You walk the earth beholden to no man, carrying not what he thinks, not what he says, about any thought, any word, any action of yours, because the Christ is your counselor. You're walking with him. He is yourself. You listen to him constantly, and you do what he tells you, because you have paid the price for having risen above the law, and therefore you are no longer subject to it. Christ is the cornerstone, the foundation of your life. And this fasting should be fasting from criticism, from the judgment of your neighbors, and it should be fasting from fear and the evil, and think only good. Think of all men as your brothers. Do the fasting in the right way. Fast from the things that are wrong in your life, not just food. Because it also says in another spot here. Where did I find it? Anyway, that the day will come. Has a place marked correctly. The day will come when the bridegroom will no longer be with you. And that will be the day of fast. Someone has asked Jesus why his disciples did not fast. And he said, Why should they fast when the bridegroom is with them? But when the bridegroom, when that day comes, when the bridegroom leaves, then they will indeed fast. So when this Savior of men, the Son of Man, dies, then all of the people of your kingdom, you see, including the twelve powers of the twelve disciples, will fast from the presence of that one who is dying. But then comes the glorious resurrection, and the Christ child, the child of wonder, is born with him. But you can have that now if you will only lay hold of it. One of our members is in India now at the ashram, and I had a letter from him the other day. And he probably gave me more resistance for a long period of time than anyone I've had to deal with while still saying he wanted God's realization. He wouldn't give one inch. And in this life, this man is now filled with humility. He is singing and chanting the name of God five hours a day. And his whole being, his whole life is changing. 
this is what it can do for you. So take hold of your life. Listen to that inner counselor, that inner voice, and find that in truth, you are God, and he is your real, your very self. Let us make this Lenten season the one of beauty, of wonder. I know that many of you gather together in groups, and you pray, and you chant, and you meditate. You have done this for me, and I'm here because of your prayers, no doubt. But it is a wonderful thing. And the more you do this, the more you are uplifted, the more you take it into your daily life, and the more you will realize what it truly means to be one with God through Christ. You will have peace. You will have power. You will have intelligence. You will have glory. You will be a light that will shine on the hilltop so that all men will see that light and will want and reach out to follow it. Oh, Heavenly Father, Divine Mother, I feel the wonder and the beauty of Thy glorious presence in every part of my being. My heart is bursting with my love for Thee. I kneel in adoration of Thy feet and surrender myself to Thee. I feel the power of Thy protection surging in every cell of my body. My mind and my intelligence are brilliant with Thy healing light. My soul is filled with the ecstasy and bliss. My soul is filled with the ecstasy and bliss of my communion with thee. Of my communion with thee. I and my father are one. I and my father are one. Blessed spirit, I am he. O heavenly Father, open my eyes that I may see thy face. Open my ears that I may hear thy footsteps everywhere. Open my heart that I may feel the glory of thy love. O heavenly Father, may thy love shine forever upon the sanctuary of my devotion. May I be able to awaken the hearts of all men. May I be able to awaken the hearts of all men and bring them to thee. Who?